0: Or somebody here breaking the law, but they don't really need to go to jail. And instead of taking them down to the county, can we get them to Wellstone or Wellstar or down to the uh, behavioral medicine unit at Crestwood or something like that? And and that's the CIT program. Four cities in the nation got picked for this CIT program, and Huntsville was one of those. And out of the, of the, the Huntsville area, 19 officers we're allowed to go through that training, and uh, Chief McMurray asked me when I sit in on the training. So I'm not a cop, I'm not a shooter, I'm not an operator, I'm not an officer, but I now have a CIT uh, certificate where I'm not only a, a CIT intervention guy, but I'm also a trained the trainer guy. So, so that's where my mental health stuff comes in, and then I've often used the things I understand about mental health in, in scriptural presentations. When you begin to talk about suicidal ideation or people who in, encounter suicidal thoughts or even when you start talking about people who want to know how to intervene with suicide, there's lots of, lots of things that, that run together. I don't do anything anymore in the mental health field where I don't talk about trauma. And so we're going to talk about, a lot about trauma and a lot about uh, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence... And by the way, young people, emotional intelligence is the predictor for success. Your ACT is not a predictor. Your SAT is not a predictor. Parents, plug your ears. Your grade point average is not a predictor. The predictor for success is emotional intelligence. Uh, People with 160 IQ regularly work for people who have 100 IQ. Because people with 100 IQ have more common sense, have more emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence boils down to a couple of components. Number one is being aware of and understanding my own personal emotions. I can differentiate between fear and anger. Nine times out of ten, when you run into an adolescent or especially an adolescent male and they're acting very aggressive, they're actually very insecure. But a lot of times we can't differentiate between that. Young ladies with uh, eating disorders often confuse every emotion. Disappointment, shame, regret, fear, and hunger. And so everything is processed as hunger. And, and so they create these, these uh, coping mechanisms because they don't understand their own emotions. But once a person understands their own emotions, once I can say, hey, I'm feeling this or I'm feeling that, or I can label it. Once you understand your own emotions, you respond to those emotions with with three basic skill sets. Number one is delayed gratification. I don't have to have what I want right now. Being able to, to do self-regulation and delay gratification is basically one of the markers for maturity and it's also one of the markers for success. There's an experiment they do with uh, four-year-olds. Now, don't go home today and do this with your four-year-old. But you sit down with a four-year-old and you say, hey, I'm going to give you a marshmallow. Or you can wait 15 minutes and I'll give you two marshmallows later. The children who will wait the 15 minutes to get two marshmallows, you can predict their SAT scores. You can predict their SAT scores. You can predict their ability to finish college, to maintain jobs, to maintain relationships because they've learned delayed gratification. Now, like I said, now don't go home and offer your four-year-old grandchild a marshmallow, okay? It has to be in a control situation. So once I understand my own emotions, I can delay getting something that I want. That's delayed gratification. Number two, once I understand my own emotions, I have to be able to practice impulse control. Lack of impulse control is a common marker for suicidal behavior because I want the pain to stop right now. I want to avoid this situation right now. I can't picture anything past the future, past the present. I can't predict myself into the future, so I'm going to act in the moment. So delayed gratification and impulse control are huge, huge markers for emotional stability, emotional maturity. And then the third part of that is motivation. And motivation is that once I can delay gratification, once I can put the brakes on my my impulse control, will I have the ability to put in the work, put in the time to get what uh, Matt Evans calls deep satisfaction? Will I be willing to put in the hard work to solve a problem, to create a new normal, or to create a new future? And, And when we talk about deep satisfaction as it relates to emotional control, uh, delayed gratification, and impulse control. It's the difference of, let's say that every Friday night this year, we can spend two hours just on anything we want to. If you took every Friday night this year and you went to the movies, at the end of the year, what would you have done? Seen 52 movies, Right? Or you can take every Friday night this year and spend two hours studying for your master's degree. At the end of the year, what would you have? A master's degree. So which is better? 52 movies or a master's degree? You can spend every Friday night this year dating someone different. And you could have 52 first kisses. Or you could invest a lifetime into a relationship and kiss somebody goodnight after 52 years of marriage which one of those has deep satisfaction we find that people who do not possess delayed gratification impulse control and deep satisfaction or, or uh, uh motivation don't have those moments in their life where they have deep satisfaction and suicidal ideation often comes from people who are deeply dissatisfied with something in their lives. and we'll repeat this a couple of times today all suicidal thoughts and all suicidal gestures are linked to these factors number one helplessness and hopelessness period when a person is helpless and hopeless i don't have any future i don't have any look forward to i don't have any power i can't do anything every time there's a a, a suicidal attempt it's linked to helplessness and hopelessness. And second in that is that all suicidal ideation is either trying to communicate something, trying to avoid something, or trying to control something. So when you start thinking about where do you have to be in life or what has to be going on for you to think, you know, my best option is I'm just going to quit living. That's when you have to look at distorted thinking cognitive distortions and mental illness and I guess we need to to talk about that just a little bit 80% of all suicidal activity or 80% of all persons who attempt suicide or complete suicide 80% of them are diagnosable with something only 20% of people who attempt suicide would would not fall into a category of having a mood disorder or personality disorder a substance abuse disorder or some t- form of mental impairment so it really is a sign that something else deeper is going on you can't usually separate suicide and suicidal thoughts and when i say suicidal ideation the word idea is in there. That's, that's what ideation means. It's suicidal thoughts. Suicidal ideation and depression are almost always linked. Now, there are two versions of depression. Some depression is what we call organic or indigenous. Organic means it's a function of an organ. Now, what's the organ that sits right up here between your ears behind your eyes? That's your brain. If you have a sickness in your brain... It is a disease just like something being wrong with your pancreas, just like something being wrong with your liver, just like something being wrong with your blood sugar, just like something being wrong with your lymph nodes, just like having something wrong with your lungs. It is a medical condition. Lots of people suffer from what we would consider a major depressive disorder, and it absolutely has to do with brain chemistry. You know, a lot of times in the church, we find somebody and they're depressed, and we go, Well, have you prayed enough? Well, have you just tried not being depressed? Well, walk up to somebody who's got cancer and ask them the same question. Have you just tried not having cancer? They'd be like walking up to me and say, Well, Lonnie, have you tried not being short? It happened, okay? Uh, and, and so understanding that if you deal with depression, sometimes it is a function of something that is a, a, a mind disease. And, and sometimes I, I try to differentiate between brain That's the hardware, and mind, that's the software. Clinical depression is a hardware problem. You've got an illness in your brain just like if you had something wrong with your liver or your pancreas or your heart or your lungs. The other side of the depression coin is a cognitive depression. Nothing wrong with your brain, but something is not healthy, not functioning well with your mind. And that's when people don't have this emotional self control, this emotional insight, this emotional understanding. Uh, Please understand that all our emotions are valid. There's no emotion you can have that God didn't give you the capacity to have. Now, having emotions does not always mean that we use them properly, okay? That's just like, you know, if you have a hammer at your house, you can build something with a hammer. You can tear something up with a hammer. The hammer's neutral. It's what you do with it. That's the same thing with your emotions. Please remember that our emotions, number one, come from God. We'll review this later. Number two, they're all valid. But number three, emotions are information. They are not instruction. Sometimes they can lead to instruction, but they do not start out as instruction. Emotions are simply information. And to illustrate the difference between information and emotion, uh, let's say my wife Jackie and I are driving down the road. We stop at a little gas station. We're pumping gas in the car. I say, honey, i got to go inside and go to the men's room. I'm 56 years old now. I never skip a nap. I never pass a bathroom. So i got to go and I have to go inside. 45 minutes later, I come back outside. Jackie says, what took you so long? I said, well, there was a sign in there that said clean restrooms. So I had to find a mop, I had to find some rubber gloves, I had to find some bu- a bucket of water. And she would say, no, 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 they didn't tell you to clean the restrooms, they were telling you the restrooms were clean. Information, clean restrooms, or instruction, clean the restrooms. Our emotions are like the clean restroom. They should tell us something. But when we get into emotional dysregulation or we get into a threat or we get into a panic situation, we take our emotions and we go, I feel this way, therefore I must act this way. And that's really not how we're supposed to behave. Those emotions tell us something and based on that information, I can make different choices. But if you only make choices when your emotions are super high and it feels like an immediate command, that's when we get in trouble. Now, our brains are designed to to respond to trouble. Our brains are designed to go into super fast mode when we have a threat and anytime we feel threatened, whether it's physical, psychological, emotional, or spiritual, we move into the part of our brain, our right temporal lobe and our amygdala that causes us to, to, to make those rapid decisions that we typically call the fight or flight response. Are you guys familiar with that? Actually, it's fight, posture, submit, or fly. There's actually four of those, but, but two of them are kind of kissing cousins with the other. Your brain's designed to do that. See, if you're walking through the woods with me and a bear steps out, you don't want this part of your brain to go, oh, look, a bear. I think, is that a grizzly bear or a black bear? Is he in a winter color phase? Maybe he's a cinnamon bear. No, you want the part of your brain that goes, bear, to take over. You bypass the thought process and go to the reaction process. Well, when someone dies, when you get a breakup. When you have a financial crisis, when you wake up and there's some kind of tragedy, the part of your brain that yells, "bear" also yells, sadness, also yells, despair, also yells, get out, escape the pain, control the pain, tell them how you feel. And sometimes it causes us to react in a way that is very emotional and not very logical. Are you tracking with that? Does that make sense? Let's do a little case study. on on a person who has some emotion-based thinking. Uh, This will be very familiar with you. If you've ever heard me talk about mental health in the Bible before, but go to Genesis chapter 25. And we'll kind of use this as a case study. (coughs) And something is blooming in in Alabama, and uh, it's affected my lungs and my throat and my nose. I apologize for coughing on, on your microphone. Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. Now, Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field and was weary. Now, some of your Bibles have the word exhausted. Some of your Bibles have the word famished. Some of your Bibles have the word faint. Some of your Bibles have the word hungry. Everybody get the picture of what Esau's done. He's been out hunting and he comes in from hunting and he's tired. He's hungry. He's hungry. There used to be a little place on Highway 72 called Miller's Barbecue. Miller's Barbecue used to make some of the best Brunswick stew you could find on the planet. Miller's Barbecue has saved countless lives of deer. Because you'd sit up there on Kill Mountain in a tree stand, and it's 22 degrees, and about 9.30 you think, I don't think a deer's going to come by, but I bet there's, there's Brunswick stew at Miller's Barbecue. <laughs> because you're hunting... When I mean, you're hunting, you get tired, you get cold, you get weary, and you get hungry. Might or might not see a deer, guaranteed. Miller's Barbecue had Brunswick stew. You climb out of that tree, drive over to Miller's. and ha- So Esau comes in from hunting. There's no Miller's Barbecue, but there's Jacob's Soup Kitchen. And so Esau walks in, and he sees this soup. And he's weary, he's tired, he's faint, he's hungry, he's exhausted. And he says to his brother, Please feed me with some of that stuff same red stew for I am same word. He is quoted as saying I'm weary, tired, famished, faint, hungry, or exhausted. He uses the same word in his quote that the inspired writer used to describe him. So the two words match. We're all on the same page. His internal condition is he's tired, he's weary, he's hungry, he's faint, he's exhausted. He's been out hunting but he's, he's tired. His brother said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. Now, I'm not sure what to make about this little little offer here from Jacob. I don't know, you know Jacob's name means supplanter, means heel grabber. If you're a wrestler, he's doing a single leg on this guy, reaching down, picking that heel. He's a guy who'll grab you by your heel and trip you. That's what his word means, it means supplanter. I'm not sure if he's that complicated of a supplanter, I'm not sure if he's that sophisticated of a con artist. Or if this is a walk-away price. Are you familiar with the term walkaway price? Okay, this means yes. This means no. <laughs> this means you're not voting. <laughs> All right? A walkaway price is when somebody asks you to do something and you don't want to do it. <clears throat> you jack the price up so high, they will walk away. You know, it's not like I'm not going to do it. I'll let you tell me no. I'm not going to tell you no. We needed to replace a door at our house. And I'm a decent carpenter. I can do some stuff. Uh, i built my my grandson a 35 foot tree house my wife calls it fort gunner it has three levels a 160 foot zip line one of those giant tube slides a fast rope some really cool stuff so i can build some stuff but this uh doorway with two side lights was a little out of my pay grade I, it, it attaches to some hardwood if it leaks right there it's a big so we were going to look for somebody to replace our door my wife is standing at the, L, at the middle school where she used to teach and uh, this truck comes by to pick up this kid and there's a a sticker on the door that says so-and-so, so-and-so, construction. Well, she writes down the email address. So I sit down and say, hey, I need a doorway. I got a 72-inch door with these uh, side lights and would you give me a quote on replacing this door? I didn't realize this guy's not a residential contractor. This guy does multi-million dollar industrial complexes. That's what his construction business was. So he sends me, a quote, and it's a walkaway price. Oh, yeah, I'll come do your door, but I'm proud of my door work. Well, I knew it was a walkaway price, so I just let it go. Well, two weeks later, he sends me another email. Mr. Jones, did you get my quote on the door? I said, yes, sir, I did. We decided to take the money and send Jackie back and get her master's degree in carpentry and do her own door for that kind of money. He did not want to do the door. So, so Esau comes in. He says, hey, brother, let me have some of your soup. He goes, you can have it, all the soup you want if you'll give me your birthright. Leave me alone. I cook this soup for me. It's what I take it to me. But listen what happens in, in, in Esau's extreme thinking. Please feed me with some of that red stew, for I'm hungry. And that's why his name is called Edom. The, the soup was red. Edom means red. Jacob said, "Sell me your birthright is to this day." And Esau said, "Look, I'm about to die. What is my birthright to me?" Can anybody pick out the extreme shift in Esau's mindset? He comes in from the woods, and he's what? He's tired he's weary, he's famished, he's faint, he's hungry. But he goes from I'm hungry to I am going to die. That's a pretty extreme shift in mood, isn't it? Teenagers and adults who suffer with suicidal ideation are guilty of what we call emotional dysregulation. They go from zero to 60. It's black or it's white. In, in the real world, let's say that wall is ideal... And that wall is unacceptable. We, most of us live in, in, in the middle of the room, right? Everything's not perfect, but everything's not tragic. When a person becomes suicidal or a person gets into the extreme thoughts of depression, the difference between ideal and unacceptable is that thin. If I didn't do it all, I didn't do any. If you didn't let me go there, you won't let me go anywhere. If I got fired from this job, I'll never have another job. They think in terms of I always, I never, you always, you never. If, I, if that boy broke up with me, I'll never have a boyfriend again. Everything becomes either all or nothing. It becomes super tragic. Esau sitting here talking to his brother about a bowl of red soup and his world becomes a bowl of red soup. He focuses on... Only on the one thing he cannot have. Do you see the extreme emotional dysregulation? Who's Esau's father? I say Abraham begat. Isaac. Who is Isaac's father? Abraham. Is Abraham a homeless dude that lives in Palestine? These people aren't camping under the bridge. Abraham is a wealthy Middle Eastern sheik. He has flocks and herds and goats and oxen and camel, and he's got so much livestock, he can't even live in the same geographic area with Lot. They've got to move to the next county so their animals can have enough food to eat. Abraham has an army of 300 men that were born to his household and was trained in the art of war. You know what kind of money you've got to have to have a private army? You know what kind of money you have to have to to, to be able to have an army at your house and to train them? You know what you've got to have if you've got an army? Groceries. Because armies won't stay where there ain't no food. You think the only thing to eat in this camp is soup? Suppose Esau had taken his eyes off the red soup and just turned in a circle. You don't think he'd have seen a sheep? A goat? Some figs? Some pomegranates? A servant with enough food carrying on a tray? Listen, you couldn't swing a shovel in this camp and not hit a sheep. And yet, his world has become if I don't get that red soup, I will die. When people encounter extreme emotional states, that if this Information about me comes out, I'll lose my career. I'll lose my reputation. I'll lose my staff. If the church finds out my daughter's pregnant, if the church finds out that I embezzled this money, if the church finds out I got pulled over for a drunken drive, if the church finds out I have porn on my computer, we start thinking in terms of if this one thing happens in my, everything else is gone. And then we make decisions that are impulse controlled. Okay, you want my birthright? Well, if I don't eat that soup, I'm going to die, so I don't need my birthright. Let's check Esau's math a little bit. Let's talk about his logic. Okay, what is his logic? I'm going to what? Die. If I don't have the what? So since I'm going to die without the soup, I don't need my birthright. According to his mathematical formula, what happens if you eat the soup? What's his reason for needing the soup? He's going to die. Well, what happens if you eat the soup? You don't die. Well, if you don't die, you think that birthright might come in handy later? Listen, folks, his thinking is so skewed, he couldn't pick cotton if he's made out of Velcro. I mean, he is off the rails and the wheels are in the ditch. Because according to his mind... I don't need that birthright because I'm going to die because I can't have the soup. But if you have the soup, you're not going to die. You're going to need the birthright. He's not thinking clearly. He's let his world become one stimulus. He's let his world become one crisis. He's let his world become one thing. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it'll say, Don't be like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, And you know that later when he wanted to change, he wanted to change his mind, he could find no place for repentance even though he sought it bitterly and with tears. Suicide is a permanent condition to a very temporary problem. And if we can ever get ourselves or people who are in crisis to think beyond the crisis... If you can just think till tomorrow. If you can think till next Friday. A lot of times that crisis averts itself, but when a person says, I will trade you, and this is really wasn't a suicidal gesture, but at the same time it was. He traded his future life. My blessing, my inheritance, my bloodline, the land of Canaan, I'll trade you everything that I have in my future for this moment. Does that sound like suicide to you? I'll trade everything in my future to communicate something, to control something, or to avoid something in this moment. And afterward, after he makes the decision and has a chance to think about it, he can't fix it. He can't go back and unchange his mind. Kevin Briggs is a retired police officer. Uh, if you get a chance to watch his TED Talk, The Bridge Between Life and Death, his, his patrol beat was the Golden Gate Bridge. And his job as a, I think 20 years of his job, was walking that bridge and keeping people from jumping off the bridge. And he runs into people who step over the rail and stand on the outside curtain of the Golden Gate Bridge and make a decision to let go. If you do this, I'm a rock climber, a very amateur rock climber. We have a splat calculator on our phone. And My climbing partner back in October had a rock break with him And we had our very first serious lead fall in 10 years of climbing. Uh, Troy was in the air 1.98 seconds. Accelerated to 41 miles an hour. And I caught him on the end of a rope. Our our system failed and I had to catch him barehanded. Burned my hands up. I had severe blistering on my hands. The only thing that touched the ground was his heel because I caught him on a rope. His heel hit the ground with 535 joules of force or about 1,800 foot-pounds of kinetic energy. That's a 40-foot fall from a rock face. When you fall off the Golden Gate Bridge, you accelerate 32 feet for every second that you fall, and you'll reach terminal velocity of 32 feet per second square. And when you hit water from above 80 feet, it's just like hitting concrete. Very few people survive that fall by the way, there are worse things than dying instantly when you hit water. It's having broken ribs and a shattered pelvis and exploded internal organs and then floating in the water till you die. But in Kevin Briggs' work on the Golden Gate Bridge, the people that have survived, and very few do, but the people that survive when they get them out of the water and get them in the hospital and get them out, 100% there is no exception here. of the people who have jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and lived say the minute they let go of the rail, they said this was a bad idea. Every person they pulled out of the water says, once I made a decision that I could not take back, I regretted that decision. I suspect that is true in all cases of suicidal ideation. Because we've come to a moment in time where I make an intense, emotion-based decision to a temporary problem and I put some things into motion that I cannot undo. That's what happened with Esau. He gets into the only thing that'll make me happy is soup. And by the way, there are all kind of what I consider to be pseudo-suicidal choices. I'm going to tell them how I feel at work and walk out. I'm going to run away from home. I'm going to quit that job. I'm going to just... We we make a lot of choices that, that, that in our mind have some kind of dramatic impact on everybody else. And we have this fantasy world about how they're going to react. I'm going to communicate something, control something, or avoid something. And we make these instant decisions that have lifelong, that have eternal consequences but we make it because we're in a highly charged emotional state esau's focus was if i don't have that soup and he traded everything he was ever going to be everything he was ever going to have for that one moment we 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 commit suicide in marriage when we say if i can't be friends with her on facebook if i can't talk to him on snapchat every day if I can't text back and forth to this guy at work or this friend from high school, and if I can't have this person in my life, I'll never be happy. And, and you take that, that moment of pleasure, that moment of comfort, that moment of satisfaction, that moment of satiation, and in those emotion-based thinking, we trade everything in our future, our marriages, our career, our integrity, our morality, our honesty, our purity, and we trade it all away, and then when we look back on it, if we get a chance to look back, well, you know what? I wouldn't have put those things into motion. Esau gets in a highly charged emotional state. He's in a crisis position, and in that crisis position, he makes a decision based in pure emotion. He does not possess delayed gratification. He does not possess impulse control, and he did not possess self-regulation. And because he lacked those three components of emotional intelligence, he basically ends up doing what I would consider to be a suicidal type gesture (coughs) because he comes up with an extreme conclusion. So the first thing I want us to start thinking about is, can we take the moment when we find someone in crisis or we find ourselves in crisis and do just a little bit of analysis? How would the world look different a month from now? A week from now, if you continued to live. Now, when I was a very young therapist, uh, I felt really I feel bad about telling the story because you'll think I'm cavali- a cavalier and, and uncaring about it. One of, one, one of my guys called me, and the first thing he said was, Now, I don't you to think I thought about going down there and jumping off that Tennessee River Bridge. That's very specific language for having not thought about it. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> you know, a guy calls you and tells you, I haven't thought about going down there, he's got a place. And jumping off the Tennessee River Bridge, he's got an action. For having not thought about it, I, I feel like there's a lot of planning involved in this. So I said, we need to meet. So we get together, and he describes what's going on. He's being very, very tortured with intrusive thoughts, an obsessive-compulsive uh, type situation. And, and, and he's talking to me about this, and, and he's, he's done. My OCD's never going to get better. My family situation's not going to get better. My neuropathy is not going to get better. And I'm just going to go down there and jump off the bridge. I said well, let's work together for a couple of days and if you don't feel any different you can always kill yourself on Friday he goes you know you're right I can and the simple fact that it didn't have to be done today 25 years later the guy's still alive and enjoying a relatively normal lifestyle and I used to be ashamed to tell that story but you know that's, that's now become a suicidal intervention tactic Is to tell folks you can always kill yourself tomorrow just live today. Well, then today becomes today, and tomorrow becomes today, and tomorrow's the next day. And all you got to do is make it through today. If we can just delay the impulse and delay the gratification of taking our own lives or doing some extreme action, you might be surprised what the world looks like tomorrow. What the world looks like next week what the world looks like next month what the world looks like next year people in intense emotional pain get so laser focused on that bowl of soup right here right now that we can't project into the future and if i could just get you to step into the future without an emotional distortion or without a cognitive distortion then I think we can probably find some way that that helplessness, hopelessness and powerlessness goes away and we find some help, we find some hope and we find some power. So that's kind of our introduction. We'll do one more case study at worship. I've uh, got a question and answer period in the afternoon and uh, that'll be where we really talk about some of the, the... I hope you ask a lot of questions and I hope I have, I have the ability to answer them. And then we'll talk about uh, cognitive distortions really not going to talk a lot about the uh, organic uh, mental illnesses and suicide Uh, and i'll have to offer you a caveat with that but that's kind of our introduction if you have a question don't want to ask it out loud write it on a